Welcome to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and narrated by Matt Herzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This is episode 14 of series 1, 100D. There is no room 100D, whispered Blix in her ear, as he casually moved behind her and route the next locker over. When he got there, he acted like he was bending down to lace up his sneakers. His backpack, meanwhile, was unzipped, open, and ready for Chellen to casually drop their shared journal notebook right into it. This was the super-secret binding object of their friendship, or at least the latest version of it. Chell and Blix had been drawing gruesome pictures depicting each other's cartoonish demise in notebooks ever since they had first become friends about a year ago. On the lined notebook paper, bound with a coiled metal spiral and covered by two thin pieces of cardboard, was the hidden story of their friendship. In the journal notebook, there was a drawing of Blix's head, which was stuck in a block of ice. On his face, his dark brown skin had become a deep blue and was frozen in mid-smile. There were also large X's over his eyes to show that he had died. In one of his hands was a crude rendition of a coconut frost bomb, Blix's favorite drink. The large cup was overflowing with coconut ice cream decorated with fruit-flavored syrup, pre-dried coconut shivers, and hundreds of glowing neon yellow sugar crystals. The drink was an ice-cold, carbonated, and severely caffeinated milkshake. Its surface was pierced with a long straw which was firmly stuck in the lather of ice cream. The straw continued up to the boy's mouth, whereupon sipping from it, it killed Blix instantly. The words, Brain Freeze, written below it in scratchy ink lettering. This was one such drawing in their journal notebook that Chellen had done. The moment had been taken directly from their life during one of those secret times where they had gotten to hang out, and Blix had tried in vain to convince Chellen to taste a coconut frost bomb of her own. She was, in fact, very proud of her drawing of this moment. This was because she didn't have Blix's amazing artistic abilities, so when one of hers came out this good, she couldn't help but bristle with pride. Blix's death depictions were done with such precision, creativity, and style that Chellen considered each and every one to be beautiful works of art. His latest had been no exception, which had inspired her to make the brain freeze drawing as a response. In his drawing, Chellen was a sea monster that had washed up on the beach. The normally pale skin of her face was burnt and blotched by the sun. 
Blix was blowing up her bloated corpse with dynamite. The explosion was sending chunks of her worm-infested body into the air, where it then rained down upon a crowd of gathered onlookers. There was an exceptionally serene sunset in the background, which all but melted into the calm waves of the sea. A strange contrast to the violent but comical exploded body parts headed over the crowd of cheering people, the faces of which depicted each person within it as varied and distinct, and the splatter of the monster parts was hilarious too. But what Chell loved the most about the drawing was the sea monster version of herself. There was such detail in it, and a thoughtfulness which caused Chellin to smile, not just because it was a drawing of her, but also because it showcased the boy's talent. Blix was an amazing artist, she thought. Now if only he could see it that way as well. Behind them, in the hallway, students joined and separated from this sea of constantly moving bodies on their way to their classes. None the wiser of the two secret friends, their planned meeting, and the journal notebook of death drawings they kept between them. Everything now hidden in plain sight. Are you sure? She hissed quietly in response to the news about there not being a room 100D. To avoid the detection of onlookers, Chellen pretended to fix her hair in the magnetized mirror on the inside of her locker door, hiding the fact that she had come to Blix for help because the boy was quite clever, despite his lackluster grades and absent enthusiasm for all things school. But she knew better than anyone that he was actually quite brilliant, if he'd only apply himself. Quite sure, he answered under his breath. I've been exploring a lot of the schools recently, especially the parts where students don't usually go. All the rooms have only numbers without additional letters, and they stop at 306. Classrooms, offices, the gymnasiums, the auditorium, the natatorium. The what? Chellen asked, interrupting him. The natatorium, Chell he answered, using his nickname for her. It's that super old building where the school swimming pool used to be. Well, technically speaking, it's still there now, but it's just empty. Anyway, as I was saying, utility closets, storage chambers, pumping station, Blixit kept listing off school facilities until she stopped him. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist she whispered, as she leaned down to pick up her own bag, faked a misstep, and safely deposited the journal notebook into Blixit's own open and awaiting uniformly similar backpack. That's right, Chell, but good luck finding it by lunchtime, he replied, and then he suddenly paused before standing up to leave. Suddenly, something had caught the boy's attention, and for a brief moment the facade of their secret meeting was gone. With a cross look, he started examining her hand as if it was in perfect line of sight from where he was bent over, no longer pretending to fiddle with his shoes. 
What is it, Blix? She whispered nervously, wondering if wandering eyes from the students around them were beginning to notice the Rom girl being examined by the non-Rom boy. It was like his eyes were scanning where the purple marker had been on the back of her hand. That's because Chellen had to spend a good 15 minutes attempting to scrub it off during her Theory of Figmentations class last period. Now all that remained was a faint outline of the lettering to a reddened background where her flesh had reacted to being furiously scrubbed. Blix took her hand in his. This was the second time someone had touched her today, and without warning, Chellen was not used to this, to people making contact like this with her. However, Blix's touch conceded a sweaty palm that was gentle and considerate, instead of jarring and sudden like Breeze had been. He slowly turned her hand to the side so that she could look at it differently before quickly letting it go. Did you see it, Chell? He asked, whispering it into her ear once more after he stood up to leave. It actually says, pool. And with that he was off, zipping up his bag and trotting down the hallway like nothing had ever happened. Confused, she re-examined her hand, but this time turned it more in the direction that he had presented it. Once that was done, she saw what he had meant. Bree had written a word on Chellen's hand, not a set of numbers, but it was upside down when she had originally examined it. It wasn't room 100 lowercase d after all. In fact, what it actually read was lowercase p-o-o-l. You mean the natatorium, she remarked, with a whispered and crooked smile, despite the fact that he... Blixit, her one and only super-secret friend, was already gone, so there was no audience for the remark other than herself. Unfortunately, that's how their exchanges were going now, which made Chell sad. They couldn't spend any meaningful time together after she had stood up to Durga Drumlicht. Not anymore. Not with every Rom and typical alike keeping a casual eye of recognition on her. The Kagger High School Natatorium was one very large and very old building that could only be accessed by accidentally taking a wrong turn past the fourth exit of the far west hallway after the corner stairwell at the very bottom of the Gorduck Wing, which was named after one of the most infamous teachers Kagger High had ever employed. Miss Gabble Gorduck taught at the school for 57 years and she had never skipped a lesson. No sick days, no vacations, no personal days, no substitute teachers, no breaks. Miss Gorduck was the prime example of commitment and fortitude in education, whose legacy rang true still to this day. Not only did she run her normal complement of classes, but also worked full-time teaching summer school. Miss Gorduck would never allow herself to be promoted nor forced into retirement, though many of the school faculty back then tried to nominate her each and every year for the position of school principal. Miss Gorduck politely refused, instead citing that her place was at her post, in front of the classroom teaching her students, which was exactly how she died, 
teaching practical mathematics to a freshman class who had been none the wiser when it had happened. Miss Gordock had simply assigned the class their homework and gave them ten minutes to start on it before the bell rang. Then she sat down at her desk, closed her eyes for the first time at her post, and gently passed away. Miss Gordock's death had happened at her very last class of the day, and on the very last day of the week. When the bell had rung and the students had left, Miss Gordock's body had sat at her desk for the entire weekend, completely undisturbed. And when the beginning of the week started and her first class of the day brought her new students, they did absolutely nothing about it for almost the entire period. Too scared. The reason being that the students of Cagger High back then knew Miss Gordook much differently than everyone else. To teachers, administrators, and parents, she was a paragon of hard work and a sweet old lady, beloved for her positive attitude and can-do spirit. To the students, however, Miss Gordook was a shrewd, mean, and intolerant old witch who ran her classroom with a, such a measured air of control that no student would ever dare speak out against her. For Miss Gordook handed out overzealous punishments that were never questioned by her colleagues. She locked misbehaviors in closets, shamed troublemakers in lunch detention by making them eat off the floor and without the use of their hands, and she always had at the ready her prized paddle that she called Monkey Face, which she reserved for beating particularly bad kids. Long, thick, and made of strong wood, and painted with a garish and cartoonish monkey's face across its surface, the infamous paddle was also riddled with holes that some students swore made strange sounds when the weapon was swung through the air. They said it was like the sound of whimpering children, the collective outcry of monkey faces' victims. But Miss Gordock used it frequently on the bare backsides of the students who were, in her opinion, the very worst of the worst. And to her, it sounded like the paddle made its own delightful noise when she used it on her students. Listen to him wobble, the library kids had said of her affection for her paddle. Listen to the monkey sound. Luckily for Chellin, Gorduk had died long before her time at Cagger High, but that didn't stop the rumors that insisted there was something of her cruel spirit left inside this very wing of the school that bared her name, especially when, of all of her things, Monkey Face had never been recovered. So it was with trepidation that Chellin made her way down the long, empty, and forgotten hallway of the Gorduk Wing, the one that led straight to the school natatorium, which probably should have been paved over to keep students like her from finding their way in. Upon arrival, she found it was dark and difficult to navigate due to the windows being painted over and only a few small light sources that had well burned out their bulbs many years prior. So, reluctantly, Chellin was forced to fumble around in the dark for a short time, only with slight regret for coming this far. But sure enough, 
Chellin did find her way through. Guided by the strong, unmistakable smells of chlorine and mildew that she could all but taste in the back of her mouth. It was following this musty trail that helped her bypass the old abandoned locker rooms by the way of a shortcut she had found to the giant empty room of its source, which was filled entirely with an empty swimming pool, an expansive bowl of old concrete lined with a floor of dulled gray grout and painted with faded and forgotten black numbers to mark where the water levels needed to be, should be, used to be. She stood above it all on an old but mostly sturdy metal walkway that encircled most of the expanse below her in a giant U-shape. Everything was visible thanks to a large skylight in the middle of the ceiling, where muted daylight was cast about the room with an unwholesome glow from distinct poplars typically overcast sky. With the light as her guide, she could tell that from where she stood was but mere inches above where the water would have once been in years past, when the pool was in use. She imagined that the students back then would get to their swimming classes and activities from this very point, the place where she thought better about approaching the edge to look over. They'd pop out of the locker rooms in probably just their underwear, run across the suspended metal platform, and dive straight into the water from the curving metal walkway where Chellen stood. Well, not exactly standing straight and tall. Chellen had to hunch forward a little to avoid hitting her head on the enclosed tile ceiling that loomed over her. That's how far up she was. And without any actual water beneath her, the whole pool area seemed to be so much more dangerous than it had probably been intended to be. There you are, sounded Bree's voice, suddenly piercing the silence and giving Chellen a horrible start. Bright and cheerful and much louder than usual, Bree's words echoed all around Chellen. Holding the rail with white knuckles, Chellen focused to find the source of it as it bounced off the walls and the ceiling above her, and soon she found the girl smiling and waving at her from below in the deep end of the pool floor, where she had been sitting on an old blanket, waiting to be found. Chellen couldn't help her amazement and surprise at seeing the small girl so far below her, almost swallowed up by the dull gray crowd pattern which made Bree's colorful outfit of pink and orange and purple stand out like a shining beacon in the dull overhead daylight. "'How did you get down there?' asked Chellen, with a large smile that couldn't possibly be hidden. "'Over there,' responded Bree, returning the smile and pointing at a collapsible metal chain ladder that was suspended from the walkway at the far end of the railing. When Chellen found it, she immediately did not like the situation she felt she was being put in. The collapsible ladder was a simple design of stainless steel metal tubes for rungs, that were filled with chain bits instead of rope. It was attached by a set of clasps to the bottom of the walkway. Here was the worst part for Chellen as she imagined that just anyone who happened along could easily unclasp the ladder, and if she was down in the empty pool with Bree, they would be trapped with no way out. Trapped. Forever.
If you've been enjoying Distinct Poplar, we would love to hear about it. Please consider rating and reviewing us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you found our stories. Positive reviews go a long way to helping us find new listeners, and we truly appreciate it. You've been listening to Series 1, Episode 14, 100D, written and narrated by Matt Herzberg and copyright Wednesday, August 15th, 2018. The music for this episode is by Chris Zabriskie. For more information, check the show notes in the episode's description. For more stories like this one, as well as ebooks and more information about the city that forgot to stay clean, check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com or through our social media. Just search for Distinct Poplar on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stop by. Say hello.